Hello everybody and welcome to Podcast a Week for this week. It is currently the 16th of February 2018. How are we doing? I finished Night in the Woods this week and that's a good video game. That's like top tier video games. If I played it, it was a 2017 game. So if I played it before 2018, I would have probably considered it for like game of the year level. Like people who are like, oh, Nier Automata is a great game. It's like, no, Night in the Woods is a great game. Nier Automata is well, I haven't played it. I was going to say Nier Automata is terrible, but why should I say bad things about a game I haven't played for the sake of making a point? Nonetheless, Night in the Woods, you should play that. It's on pretty much everything now. I played it on Switch because it was released on Switch a couple of weeks ago. A good video game. If you want to play a good video game today on the show, that is Podcast a Week. We are back doing DC reviews. Yeah, it's a real series. It's still alive. And you can listen to it right now, where the wonderful, lovely, delightful Robbie Fox, who I think I introduced him exactly like that after the break, so you know you can hear that twice, but it is true, joins me to talk about the really good film, an actual good DC film. We're positive about a DC film for the next, like, 80 minutes or however long this podcast is going to be, give or take. So yeah, you can listen to that after this fantastic piece of Wonder Woman music. Welcome back to Podcast a Week. If you remember a while ago, no, as I said, I think I said this last week, no series dies on Podcast a Week. It just goes with the semi-permanent hiatus to return eventually, just like this podcast does every so often, but we'll ignore that. We're talking about DC films, and I'm not sure does the DC Extended Universe even still exist anymore, but we're going to talk about the fourth fourth film in the D- what There's Batman, Man of Steel. Su- uh, Su- uh, yes, fourth film in the DC Extended Universe, and a good one, Wonder Woman. And joining me to talk about it is the lovely, wonderful Robbie Fox. Robbie! Yeah, I'm excited to be back on the show. It's been way too long. It's been months. I feel like we've been trying to like link up on this for a while. Mm. Um, and both of our lives have very, very drastically uh, changed since the last time we were on this podcast together. But the most shocking thing of all is that we're about to talk about a good DC film. It's unheard of. It's it's mind-blowing. It's almost slightly unsettling that this film is without reservations, like, without even, like, qualifying it. This is a good film. Like, you don't even have to put the good, like, the, the usual qualifier of, like, a good superhero film. You can take that out. It's just a good film. Or my usual qualifier of, it's fun, even though it's bad. Yeah. Like, this one's just good. It's very good. It's fun. It's good. Everyone's great in it. Everything about it's great. It's a movie that makes me cry. We could talk about the scene that makes me cry later. There's two scenes in it that made me cry today. I rewatched it. It's just good. I, I mean, I, we said it right before we started recording, but like, I'm usually on the defensive for all of these. I'm usually like, well, if you if you look at it from this point of view, it it's kind of salvageable. Yeah, now I could just kind of sit back and talk about something that's great. We came down a Man of Steel pretty hard. Yeah, I mean that. I, it's a bad movie. <laughs> yeah. And, and then first the Superman, which we watched the extended cut of, and that did not make any difference. Which, no, literally no difference. I think that's an okay movie mm. that I I I really like. I really still to this day stand by that take. Love Man of Steel, great movie. Um, I mean, bad movie, but you know. Uh, and then <laughs> I mean Suicide Squad. There's no defending, but I still enjoy that one. And then we are on to. 
directed by Patty Jenkins, starring Gal Gadot, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. That's the old team team song. Yes, and I think uh, mentioning those two is like very important because they're very much Gal Gadot, like Gal Gadot, whatever. Her, how, Gal, she, is it Gal or Gal? She, she she flip flops on how to say her her name. Uh, I think she sometimes she's like it's it's Gal Gadot, and sometimes she's like it's Gal Gadot, and she does like this. But she does this thing with a T. It's like literally only only she could do it, right? Because she she's like the most perfect human being in every facet of life possible. So she's like Gal Gadot, and it's the most beautiful word you've ever heard. But uh, she is very much a, a real life Wonder Woman. Did you see what she uh, told the studio about Brett Ratner? When talking about the Wonder Woman sequel, I did not. So the, Brett Ratner is one of the scumbags um, accused of, you know, sexual misconduct in Hollywood and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So she went to the studio and she said, "Hey, just a heads up: if he's going to be involved in the sequel, uh, Wonder Woman will not be in the movie." She was like, "Yeah, just I, I won't be in the movie." So they immediately kicked Brett Ratner to the curb. That's some real life Wonder Woman stuff right there. That is awesome. Also, Brett Ratner makes very bad films consistently. <laughs> Correct. He is he is a real villain. He killed the X Men franchise. <laughs> yeah, he pretty much did. Until they brought it back, which they bring everything back. So th- this film, yeah, just like we brought this franchise back. There you go, tied it all in a little yeah. for you. As I said, I'm not sure does the DC extended universe still exist. I think it does. I'm not sure. They still have film schedule, but they're, they're it's it's DC, so they're like teetering on the edge at the moment. <laughs> They're teetering on the edge, and I was thinking about maybe like saving this take for the the end of the podcast, kind of the the movie wrap up. But I'll say it right here: this movie, and and I'm a firm supporter of the DCEU or the DCU as they're just calling it now. They were like, we never actually called it the DCEU; that was a fan thing. Um, so the DCU, I love all these movies. I think. Uh, ben Affleck is a great Batman. I think Henry Cavill could be a great Superman with the right script. I think he showed some of that in Justice League, which, shocker, I enjoyed. Um, but this movie really makes me think that they should just keep this and say, hey, everything else that we made in this little for, like uh, shared universe is no longer canon. Wonder Woman is the only canon movie in the entire universe, and just start building from here. Keep Gal Gadot as your Wonder Woman and you could pretty much change everything up. I would cast, like, Army Hammer as Superman. I would cast, like, John Hamm as Batman. But do it slowly. Do it like Marvel did it. Don't try to rush things. You know, take your time. Just make good solo movies. That's what this makes me think. Because this movie's so good, and Gal Gadot is, is, without a doubt, the best part of the DC universe, that it's like, why not build it around her? Because this, this film seems like almost a rebuttal to the the rest of the universe. Yeah. Because the rest of the universe is so dark and depressing and bleak and miserable and the morals are just like Superman is a horrible human being who kills people now and Batman just tortures people for the lols. But no, this film is colourful and all about love and happiness and joy and then you watch this film and you're like, how is this the same universe? It, it promotes such a message of hope literally like the entire movie is like hope for humanity like uh, giving mankind the benefit of the doubt, like it, it's it's like such a positive, uplifting movie. By the end of it, yes, you have you know kind of a kind of a sad ending in some ways, but when you're done watching the movie, you feel good, mm. and that's not something you could say with a lot of the other DC movies. We'll get to, it's a, it's a happy sad. We'll get to it. Yeah, it is. We'll, we'll get to it. 
So the film opens in Paris. She's uh, mm-hmm. Wonder Woman is a curator for the Louvre. Yes. Nice. No, that's a nice day job. Yes, I would love to go there. By the way, I, like I before this movie, I would probably not even know what the Louvre is, mm. but it, it just it looks like so futuristic, and it looks, oh, it just looks awesome in here's, this movie. Here's so. a nice Louvre story. I went to Paris last July. And there, we, had, we had a day, so we're like, we, we've done the Eiffel Tower and stuff before. We were like, let's go to the Louvre. So it was a Tuesday. We went to the Louvre. We, we got the train all the way up there, walked up to the front door of the Louvre. It turns out the Louvre is closed on Tuesdays. Oh, no. <laughs> Just I Tuesday. had that happen once. Uh, not at the Louvre. Uh, at Jane Silent Bob's Secret Stash, which is my favorite comic book store. I might have mentioned it on this podcast before. I, I, I give them free ads all the time. It's my favorite comic book store in the world. Um and like I went up there once, and they were like, "Oh, sorry, we're filming Comic Book Men today." Like, um, who was? Uh, I think like a uh, who who played? Uh, I'm blanking on it now. Someone from uh, Star Trek was like in the in the comic book store. Eartha, Eartha something. Eartha Fay. No, it's Eartha Fay. That's a wrestling person. Is Eartha like Eartha Kit? Eartha Kit. Yeah. There, we go. there was a community yeah, joke she, where she was in there. You know, Pierce from Community always claimed to have banged Eartha Kitt. That's why I know who Eartha Kitt is. Yeah, so she was in there, and they sent me away at the door. But, yeah, that, that was a little Jane Silent Bob tangent. They didn't invite if you're you in New Jersey, to... check out their comic book store. Didn't invite no, you it's in? Like a, it's like an, no, it's like an hour out of, out of uh, the way, so I had to just drive home after that all sad. No, you didn't get any, like, did, uh, were there no more comic book stores in New Jersey? I mean, they are, but, like, that's the fun one. It's Kevin Smith merchandise. So, yeah, she, she's in the Louvre, which I think there's, that, that opening scene is set after Batman vs. Superman, isn't it? Yes. Yes. So we, we Because jump... she's retrieving Griff. Yes. And then we, we jump into the past, and we get the entire Wonder Woman origin story in, in Fancy Island. What's the name of the island? Themyscira or something? Uh... Yes, it's like Themyscira or something. There you go. That's probably a better pronunciation than mine. I really like that whole like uh, Amazon just learning how to train sequence. It was cool. It's so cool. It's like a, a samurai esque in in terms of like the way that they shoot samurai movies where they go to this big dojo and start to learn how to fight. Um, and the child actor is actually very good playing mm. Diana. Um, she's great. All of the visuals are great. They look like. And this is a point that I'm going to make a bunch through this review, I think. The comic book. Like, everything about this opening sequence is so bright. It's so colorful. There are so many cool, uh, like, costume uh, costumes in there that everyone's wearing. I'm surprised it didn't get an Oscar nod, at least for wardrobe, because everyone's wearing, like, these costumes. I know the original Wonder Woman suit got hated on a little bit because it's, it is a bit darker, but I think it works. Mm. And you know, all like this, the, there is some color in the other DC films, but it's like it's always put through this like weird muted filter, so it like takes out the brightness of the color. Whereas, like, no, yeah, this is just this idyllic paradise island full of Amazon warrior ladies training for whatever the hell happens. Yes, and they they give like the the very much mythical background of Zeus and and Ares and all of that as well, which is cool, and it's it's. Uh... You know, they kind of show you a little bit, but they tell you more than they show. It's 
it's fun. It it starts the movie off on on the right foot right away. Yeah, and as I said, it's it it seems it does seem like a mission statement. It seems like this is not the films that you're used to seeing from this universe. This is different. It's happier. It's colorful. There are women in them now. <laughs> Yes, it reminds me a little bit of the very meta line that opens The Force Awakens, uh, which is, this will begin to make things right. <laughs> and it's like, it's like the most, like, all right, this is the first of the prequels, and the first line of it is, this will begin to make things right. I mean, they were talking directly to the audience in that one, like, everyone, just chill out. It's going to be a good one. We know George Lucas ruined this, but we're going to fix it, okay? <laughs> yes. Which is actually ironic, given I think Zack Snyder contributed to the story of this film. Obviously, he's a producer of some capacity, but yeah, I he, think he did as well. Yeah, so someone on the in that screenplay is just like, "We're just gonna fix everything, okay, guys? Just make sure Zack doesn't notice." Yeah, they they were like bringing Zack to catering, being like, "Hey, we got new donuts!" <laughs> like, and while he was there, like trying the new donuts, they were like, "All right, shoot this." giant colorful scene just shoot it with adam and we'll just put it in the movie they gave him like some super tinted sunglasses so that everything just looks <laughs> yes like, oh yeah this is perfect or like they replaced his contacts in the morning they just started <laughs> putting like black food coloring in his contact solution it's the only way you can get joy out of the dc universe yeah I, I, that's actually a movie i'd like to see i know we got a movie this year about uh you know the women behind the actual wonder woman comic I would like to see a movie about the women that uh, got this movie made by distracting Zack Snyder the entire time. Yeah, just Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot wandering around the place, just going, oh, look over there, it's a bird! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, we, we're on that island. We, we're introduced, to, like, there's the whole, like, Greek pantheon. It's I think it's meant to basically be a Greek island near Greece, isn't it? Uh, yes, because it's, it's, yeah, it's somewhere near that area, but I guess we don't really know where it is because it's very disguised. I suppose it has to be relatively near Germany, but I don't know. Yes. So relatively near Germany and having Greek architecture and gods <laughs> somewhere in the Mediterranean, I guess. Yeah. And it's like, it's so interesting because the way they show the island and kind of the disguised border of fog for the first time that's the kind of stuff when i was a kid i would always think like the bermuda triangle what if there's these new species like i always thought there would be some kind of like skull island from like king kong you know mm. and then like it, there was like a, a rough realization when i was like nine years older i was like oh no we've been everywhere we've seen all the islands we've charted the world yeah so it's like uh oh, spoilers we've seen it all what there's not that fun stuff so I, I like to imagine that this is a real place in the world and we just haven't found it yet. What do you think is like, the biggest undiscovered thing on Earth? It's got to be something uh, in like Marina's Trench, mm. right? There's got to be some like wild sea creatures down where we've never even gone. Because yeah, we've, what, we've explored like 10% of the ocean, something like that? Yeah. So it, it's got to be ocean-related and I would imagine it's somewhere where it goes super deep. Can you imagine if there's just like some kind of fish that's like the size of the Empire State Building swimming around. That'd be super weird. It'd be crazy. It'd well, be kind of awesome. The first thing we do is definitely get that into a, uh, like an aquarium. It's like, look oh at, yeah, look at the building fish. Or we would like do a bunch of testing on it and render the thing basically dead. Yes, and then clone it in about fifteen years. Yes. See, we clone monkeys. Maybe, well? maybe we could, maybe we could like get a mosquito to bite it. And then freeze that mosquito in a yellow rock and then open one day like a, a fish park 
It uh, doesn't. I mean, it doesn't have the ring of Jurassic Park, but it's, like it's Fish, Fish Park, Park could yeah. work. <laughs> I'm sure Chris Pratt will still be around to make it work. Yeah, no, he'll be like the Jeff Goldblum character, like coming back when you'll hear like Chris Pratt narrating, and he's like, "We got to go back to that park." <laughs> And then you're like, oh my god, Chris Pratt's going to be in this movie. So cool, he said the line. That is true. Well, that's so dumb that, like, they're, it's like, we just built another Jurassic Park. I know, and I really liked Jurassic World. I, I really, really liked it. I thought oh, it was a great film. movie. It's a fun film. It was so film. much fun, you know. The new mo- movie looks just so stupid. I can't even imagine, like, if I didn't write movie reviews for Barstool, I don't know if I would see it in theaters. I might, like, give it a pass till it comes on home video and whatnot, but... It just looks so stupid. He's like, he's like, there's a volcano erupting on that island, and there's dinosaurs there. So you, Bryce Dallas Howard, me, Chris Pratt, and one teenager are gonna go save them all. It's like, you know, you don't understand how this works. You need more people than that if you want to do that. Dinosaurs are big, and you need big people and things to carry them. That is the way. Correct. Size works. Correct. He he just doesn't understand. Mm. So this film is set during World War One. So these are technically not Nazis; they're just Germans. Yep, it's an important distinction. Um, Very important. There's there are no swastikas present in this film. Yes, because it, it it wasn't the Nazi party didn't co-opt Germany until what the twenties. I was reading Hitler's biography about a year ago, which I I only bought because I was watching a ghost hunting show and they were hunting for the ghost of Hitler. <laughs> and I was like, I actually know very little about Hitler as a human being. So I was like, uh, there's this giant biography of Hitler. So I bought his book. Like, I had no idea Hitler fought in World War One. That's just a thing I did not know. Yeah, got his, uh, didn't he get like one of his testicles shot? Yeah. Yeah. And that's where like all the bitterness came. And then he overthrew yeah. German politics and ruined the world. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens when you have one ball. Hmm inferiority complex if only he was led into art school correct that is that that is actually amazing that like people say that as like a joke but legitimately if he was led into art school that changes the course of history that changes the course of earth yes can you imagine being the guy that rejected him or the girl that rejected him that i mean you have to you have to just hide away and be like "Mm, no no i i just didn't see your letter didn't see your email hitler (laughs) yeah Apologies. Thank God they didn't have the the, the scene thing underneath texts. Or the yeah, red, <laughs> yeah, red notifications. Yeah, red receipts, whatever they're called. I should really turn those off just so people don't get mad at me. Uh, can you turn them off on Twitter? Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. You say that, that I turned that, mine that, off the sec- the second that they uh the second they put them out, I turned them off. But also that's because I get so many DMs now that it's just like if if I clicked on every one it, uh, there would just be red receipts everywhere people would think i'm ignoring them on purpose do i have open dms i think i've opened dms that's something i should probably change <laughs> here's me planning my twitter anyway so uh minor open it's chaos I, I i would uh encourage you to change it yeah so we're on uh, then the nazis invade the island and we get that really really cool fight scene between amazon not nazis sorry germans invade the island and we get the really really cool fight scene between german world war ii soldiers and amazon warriors this is like so cool so you see like the plane go down and then wonder woman dives into the water from like a cliff which is an awesome shot 
and she saves Chris Pine, who in this movie his name is Scott, right? Scott something? Steve Trevor. Steve Trevor. Um, Steve Trevor. I don't know why I thought Scott. Um, probably because I wrote a thing about Ant-Man today. Anyway, uh, she saves, saves Steve Trevor, and then the Germans realize, like, oh, there's an island beyond this fog, and there's a weird kind of, uh, it looks like a parallel universe or something. They go to the island, and like you said, the fight scene is absolutely amazing. It's another thing that maybe more than anything in this movie, other than a scene that we'll talk to later, talk about later, this is like ripped from a comic book. Mm-hmm. I could see in every single shot the cinematography in this. You you could have just freeze framed, had an illustrator go over it and make it a panel in a comic book or a big splash page, like when the the one Amazonian goes up and shoots three bows with an arrow and they go into like three different soldiers that was the coolest thing i've ever seen in my life and she does it after like hurling herself in the air and doing like two backflips <laughs> yeah yeah they're they're like all flipping around there's crazy core strength shown while, while they're riding uh horses yes that just made my abs hurt watching it and uh yeah it's 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 amazing and uh, Chris Pine actually has like an awesome kill as he's running to uh, like the aid of Diana. He just like points the gun, doesn't even look, and just fires and like takes someone's head off. It was awesome. Is this like a Star Wars or Star Trek canon film? I don't believe this is Star Trek canon. I don't think Kirk. he is Captain Kirk. No. I don't know. He could have crashed in from space. That is a that is a. I mean, he said he was a spy. You know, he was. Uh, Maybe he was a spy for the USS Enterprise. Yeah, that makes sense. It's the only way this film makes sense. Actually, you mentioned the cinematography. There's a shot when she's saving him from the boat, uh, where, where he's going down in the plane, and then she's uh, like, the, it, the, it's from the perspective underwater, and she's just standing above him, and you only mm-hmm. see her silhouette in the water, and that's like, that's just like an uh, iconic hero shot right there, yes. straight up, and it's not contrived or forced or you know the Avengers stand in a circle while we pan the camera around us kind of thing. It's just like subtle and nuanced. It's so nice. Whoever was the director of photography on this film as well deserves so much credit. It's it's very, very subtle and it's like kind of awesome because you see her silhouette and we know it's Wonder Woman and he just sees like a silhouette. It's kind of confusing. He's like, why is this person not saving me right now? And then she just dives down and, and pulls him out of the water and that is an awesome shot. That could be like a screensaver. Mm. And then we get the, I think, the comic core of this film, which is uh, Wonder Woman not having any idea how the world works. Yes, which is amazing. And Gal Gadot, that's like where she shines the most, other than when she's very badass and very, like, you know, in the role of, like, okay, I'm Wonder Woman and I'm, I'm about to do something right this second. Um, the back and forth between her and Chris Pine, just her having no clue how the world works, her never having seen a man before is, like, so funny. The the bit where she walks in on him, like, naked, mm-hmm. and she's like, what's that? And mm-hmm. he goes to describe, like, oh, well, that's my, uh, pi- oh, 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 my watch. <laughs> yeah. He's like, that tells time. Yeah, and by the way, Matthew Jensen is the director of photography on this film. He deserves, he deserves this shout-out by name because, like you said, he's awesome. Yes. I do like that's that's one of the better dick jokes I think in the history of film. Yes, it's a, it is really really good because he, like I feel like the viewer is very much with the exact mindset of Chris Pine where you think she is asking about his dick yes. and she's not. Especially because the line before that it's like 
oh, what uh, are you a regular kind of man? He's like, eh, above average. yeah, yeah. He's like yeah, pretty above average. Which, by the way, Chris Pine, the the uh, like understatement of the century, above average. This man is dripping sex in this movie. He's a good-looking man. He is. Oh my goodness, he is looking like a snack. How much do you think he worked for that one shirtless scene as well? I think he was probably. I think that's probably just how he is. I don't think he. I don't. I don't know if he works out. I think he's probably just ripped twenty four seven. He's, ready he's to just go. like a superhuman. Yeah, he's maybe a superhero. I'd love to know. Do like you'd assume they film that scene first just to leave these poor people like relax while they're actually filming the film. But, <laughs> yes, but I will. I would wonder like how often is that actually the case? It's like all right, we got to film the first shirtless scene and then we'll we'll actually start principal photography. He did wear enough coats in this movie where, you know, pretty much you, you could have had my body type and looked the same because he was just layers on layers on layers, yeah. understandably. But, yeah, he uh, they, they venture off to England mm-hmm. because he he tells them about the war that's going on. And, of course, Diana is like these millions of people are dying. The only person with enough power to do that is Ares. So she believes Ares is behind the entire World War One. And it has one of the best lines in the movie where uh, Diana's mother looks at her and says, they don't deserve you. And it's like, that is one of my favorite, like, that's one of the main takeaways of this movie is like, we do not deserve Wonder Woman. We do not deserve this movie. We do not deserve Gal Gadot. Like, this is all awesome. We don't deserve this. And there's kind of like, that's kind of a theme of Man of Steel as well. Yes, it very much is. And was a theme of like the Dark Knight almost too. It's... The, the what Gotham needs, not what it wants, whatever. Yeah, and even like Justice League, the idea was like, oh, society is collapsing into chaos because Superman isn't here. But all those are much less effective than that one line saying they don't deserve you. The, exactly. Like, the entire moral basis of these movies is way less impactful than the one line in Wonder Woman. Yeah. And it's said so early, too, that like, if you needed reassurance still after the uh, foot soldier versus Amazonian fight that this was going to be a good movie like there it is because mm. it's just so powerful I have a very important question yep did you know what an armistice was before this film no oh, that I is... did I definitely did not <laughs> that is a word that comes up a good six or seven times it's like we must protect the armistice and it's like yes oh. I had no clue and was very confused the first maybe three or four times it came up yeah because like uh, ceasefires uh, and and truce and treaty all those words are words i understand that more or less mean the same thing but armistice no yeah i'm i'm sure like if i have any former social studies teachers listening to this podcast they're disappointed in me but i just i had no idea just the the four classes they went through the the and the armistice of world war one oh that's a very important day in history yes <laughs> and robert's like oh this is what you get for uh, not studying hard in school. I dropped out of college like two weeks ago, so I can't say anything. <laughs> awesome. I dropped out a few months ago. I, I got one semester done. Not bad. Oh, that those economics lessons were, were for nothing, Robbie. Oh, yeah. You did help me with, with my uh, macroeconomics. I am crushed. Friggin' hard class. I passed that class. Yeah. 
<laughs> so we're in London and we get more fish out of water comedy, which is like real. If, as you said, if you didn't get from like the opening Greek island bit of this, that this is going to be a good film. There's then like a, a good like 10, 15 minutes of just rock solid sexist comedy in there. Yeah. And the the secretary bit, which was in the trailers for this movie. So it wasn't, you know, fresh, but it's still funny every time I just rewatched it. Like I said, and it's still funny where he's like steve's like this is my secretary diana's like what is a secretary she's like oh i do whatever he asks me to i pick up his phone i i run errands for him i literally whatever he needs done i do and she's like huh where i'm from we call that slavery (laughs) and it's like whoa yes that's actually kind of true and you you learn more about steve in this too about how he's you know a spy and and what he's doing and the notebook that he stole from the uh the chemist it's uh, is Isabel right? Uh, um, yeah, yeah. She has an she has an awesome look, by the way. She's got one of the cooler menacing looks in. I mean, out of every DC villain so far, she's got the best look. More than and like, she's like barely. She's not even the main villain in this movie. She, she's just the the side villain who's. She kind of just well, I don't I don't want to say she just she's in like the final act, but like she just kind of fades into the background toward the end of the film. Yeah, she does. But yeah, her her like because she's she's Doctor Poison or it's Doctor Poison they call her, isn't it? Yeah. Wait, she comes up with all these fancy chemical weapons, but obviously some of it has backfired at some stage. So she has her face covered with like a porcelain mask toward the end of her face, and it's really cool. It's like she's the the maniacal evil the German war doctor, but it's it's different. It kind of it's contrasting to to Wonder Woman because like that's a woman in a role of power in the German army contrasting to wonder woman who's saving the world yes and then all the women in freaking britain are just like you shall stay home and you shall not do anything yeah and wonder woman trying on all of the different dresses in that store is also very funny where everything she tries on because she's wearing her you know superhero wonder woman attire and they're like they keep putting on this big like tarp over her basically and they're like you cannot walk around like this you're not wearing any clothes she's like well these are my battle clothes and she has the uh the the god killer is that what they call it the uh, sword sword yes um she's got that she's got the lasso she's got the the shield and she's just walking around in in london with all of this stuff and they're like you need to blend in so they start putting new dresses on her and <laughs> she just keeps trying to like strike combat poses and <laughs> keeps trying to like kick her legs in the air and and stuff like that she keeps ripping everything she tries on so that's very funny and then uh chris bine puts glasses on her and he's like all right like what do you think to a secretary she's like yeah like glasses are gonna make her not the most beautiful woman i've ever seen (laughs) and it works for superman it'll work for her (laughs) yeah i guess so and she eventually settles on like a pretty standard, uh, you know, I guess like a, a an overcoat, a hat, some glasses. And then as she's walking out, she has the, still the sword like ready for battle, the shield and all that. And she gets like perple- perplexed by a rotating door or revolving door. And then this is important to bring up because I had a weird revolving door situation today for the first time in my life. The subway I take to work, when you leave the subway station, there are a few revolving doors. So the one that finally leads to the street is a pretty big one. But as I got in my little quarter of the revolving door today, someone got in right behind me in my quarter. 
And I'll tell you, Garrett, that was one of the more uncomfortable seconds of my life. That's creepy. That's just creepy. I mean, it was only one second because the door revolves. But in that one second, I was just like, oh, no, I'm trapped with this strange man that's right behind me. It was, it was just very strange. That person has broken the social compact. That I felt I felt violated, to be completely honest. It's just that, like, like, I got in an elevator recently, and the person who got in the elevator walked into the elevator, and you know what? Normal human beings get in and turn around. Mm-hmm. He just got in the elevator and stared at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I called my elevator up in my apartment complex the other day, and like when it came up, there was a man standing like with gloves on, just like in the doorway, legs maybe like shoulder width apart. Like he, he looked menacing, and he was just staring at me, and I was just like, you know, I went in and basically just stared at the wall, hoping that this person didn't murder me in the elevator. He's like, this is it. This is how I go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, damn, in the morning, too? Like, you couldn't even let me get through the day? But, yeah, the fish-out-of-water comedy lands completely, and it's it's absolutely awesome. And we learn about the, the chemicals that they're trying on, on people for, you know, for the benefit of the war, but not the benefit of humanity. They're about to kill a bunch of people with this wild potion. And you see uh, – you also see a a, like, super chemical that's that's giving – someone massive strength and it's it's kind of uh kind of an interesting interesting concept it's like the bane type thing i guess right it's mm. you know he's taking like a puff of this and his veins are lighting up pretty much it's like it's a hyper adrenaline kind of thing yeah yeah which that's kind of the thing that goes nowhere in this film but i suppose it's just to set up one fight later in the film yeah pretty much yeah i do i do like like most of like Wonder Woman's like observations of the world, you know, where there's the, the, when she's chastising the the generals, like, oh, well, and in my world, generals fight alongside their soldiers and die with them, not sit thousands of miles away and plot from a distance. Yeah, there are great like comments on society because you're you're able to make them using the excuse of like Wonder Woman is thrown into this world, where if you know if if Chris Prime. Pine's character, Steve Trevor, saying that it's almost like, whoa, he's like disobeying orders. But when Wonder Woman is saying it, it's very like, wait a minute, this is a bit strange how things work in this world. Mm. And even, like, even earlier in the film, her little observation on time, it's like, you let the watch tell you what to do? And I'm like, why do we let clocks tell us what to do? Yeah. It's very strange. Though I the world that, is weird when you think about it too much. It's 4.24 uh, a.m. So I'm not telling the, uh, the clock's yeah. not telling me anything right now, Robbie. Yeah. You tell the clocks what to do, Garrett. I'm rebelling against society and everything. Just... You are Wonder Woman. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm wearing a panda hat at the moment. If I if I had a superhero hat, and it's like this cool furry panda hat with like floppy things that cover my ears and stuff, it's very nice. I'm I'm a big fan of it in the winter. But if I were a superhero, this is my superhero costume, Panda Man. Uh, bamboo will fear you. Oh, yes. But it would also be my kryptonite because I'd want to eat it all the time. True. Yeah. Just like, do you know koala bears are usually actually high because like eucalyptus is a drug for them and it makes them like docile? <laughs> I did not know that. That is a very fun fact. That's a fun Good. Idea. You know what? Good for koala bears. Yeah, they're most, they're stoned most of the time. Good for them. Yeah, good for them. So there's the mustard gas being made in Germany, and and Steve is just like, I want to go stop it, and then the, the so the generals are like, 
nah, the armistice. We must protect the armistice. Yeah, and Diana is like, what the F word? I, I believe, actually, yeah, Diana is the audience surrogate here in that she also has no idea what an armistice is. Yes, correct. <laughs> She's just like, Ar- armistice? Why aren't we stopping this? And the audience are just like, yeah. <laughs> It's like, yeah, you should stop it. But she she very much uh, is trying to run, like, headfirst into war the entire time because mm-hmm. she doesn't understand how war works. Her understanding of war is, like, when people come to her island, they run head-on at them and kill them. <laughs> she keeps being like, no, we need to go to the war right now. And Chris Pine's like, well, listen, we're going to go to the war. We need to, like, drop some things off first. We will, like, I promise, we'll go to the war. He's like, I'll get you a ticket to the war. <laughs> yeah. And then, then I do like how she is, she's like, "How do I believe you?" And then he just pulls the the lasso of truth out from under her coat. Yeah, it's like this is. And, how- he, and you know what? That the lasso of truth is such a silly concept. Like in terms of, it's not silly at all in comic books. It works in every comic I've ever read. Mm. Um, and like I don't even bat an eye at it. In a movie, when I saw the trailer for this, I remember thinking like, "How are they going to make that work?" Mm. Because in Batman Superman, they made it work, but. That was in the middle of a CGI mess. How are you going to make this work in the middle of World War One? Yeah, like that seems like a hard task to do. It works. It works completely. Like it's not even weird at all. I don't think. No, and they this, they, this big glowing lasso. Yeah, they use it in like smart ways. They're not like, and they kind of poke fun at it every so often, so that it, it, it's inherently silly that she wraps yes. you in your lasso and you have to tell her the truth. And they're like, yeah, it's a little silly. Let's just have fun with it. Yeah, it, the movie's very self-aware. Mm. So then they go, they they gather their little team, which the team is like army stereotypes 101. There's like yeah, a, it reminds me of the the group from uh, Captain America: First Avenger. Well, there's there's uh, even down to the lead named Steve. You can make comparisons to the first Captain America film. Yes, which isn't a bad thing. I love that film. So I think that film's great. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's like very overlooked in the in the overall uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't think a lot of people go back to that one, probably because Captain America 2 and 3 are both better. That, mm. that trilogy just like got better with each one, but uh, yeah, that's that's really enjoyable, and the the villain here is kind of Red Skull-ish I would in point terms people, of his motivation. I would point people to the episode of Podcast of the Week where we did Captain America, but we lost that episode, so there's like two minutes covering the first Captain America at the start of the Avengers episode. So if you want some Captain America content, it's there for you. Damn, rest in peace to the episode you lost. Yeah, Pour one out for it. I've only ever lost two episodes in the history of my podcasting, which is, I think that's a decent ratio. How many podcasts are we talking overall? Uh, there's 25 podcasts a week and 200 podcasts a day, so 225. That's not bad. Not bad. That's pretty good ratio. Don't fairness, most episodes of podcast today were just me sitting in front of a microphone, so if I lost that audio, I'm probably pretty bad at this. <laughs> yes, that that's actually true. I know I know that grind well. I used to do just podcasts about MMA every day and I I think I lost all of those on purpose because I was like, I'm just not gonna pay for this server space anymore. Mm. God podcast today. Those were the days. That was a bad idea. That was a real no, no, that wasn't a bad idea. You got experience. Doing 200 podcasts a day. I, I was at work recently and that came up and I was just like, with a couple of guys at work, we just went through some of the episodes I did when I was like, uh, tw- hello in 23 different languages or five minutes of silence or <laughs> the other things I did to fill content. Well, not even content hours, just to do a podcast every day. It was a good time. I dug the grind. 
in fairness, this this very podcast started, this very series started as a podcast a day series, so. It did. Without that, it doesn't exist. So yeah, we have, we have our, our war stereotypes, so we have the, the mark, uh, master sharpshooter who's lost his bottle, which I think you've seen that character in like seven different films. Yep. And you have the like the shrewd, smart talker who's useless in battle, but, you know, pretty handy in different situations, which you've seen that character in a bunch of different films. Then you have, yep. like, the mercenary who's just there for himself and just there to make some money, which you've also seen that character in about 50 different films. Shout out Han Solo. <laughs> Indeed. So, like, the, but it's a, a nice ragtag group. They're all very likable and charismatic. Yeah, they're they're all stereotypes, but it's never in the, like, oh, these characters. Like, they're stereotypes, but they're such just they're just set pieces. They're mm. they're never a focus. This is all to set up like let's see let's see Wonder Woman in World War One. Yep. So we we have what I think is the best scene of the film. It's probably it's like a, a, a give or take a ten minute scene. The or, the no man's land scene. The no man's land scene. Yeah. So this was scene one of two that makes me cry my eyes out. I mean, this is. Like if you if you're asking me what's the one scene in this movie that makes you cry, it's this one. Mm. I watched it today and and I was just a mess. I was an absolute wreck. The speech that she gives before she goes up there, where she's like, "We have to save everyone." Yeah. And Steve is like, "We we can't save everyone. That's not like what we're here to do." Nor is it she's a practical like, thing we can reasonably do. Yeah, and she's like, "Well, that's what I'm here to do," and she just kind of suits up and starts walking, and the looks of like astonishment from everyone in the trench of like, is she really about to do this? Mm. It gives me chills talking about it right now. It's like the most heroic. This is the most heroic scene. I think this is fair to say in the DC cinematic universe. Yeah. In in terms of just like that is the epitome of a superhero. That is someone that's uh, you know just out there to save humanity and and do whatever it takes and her walking through no man's land and just deflecting bullets and deflecting grenades and running through things and motivating everyone in the trench to go out with her it's it's so good and it's so good visually to everything from like the dust to how the bullets are ricocheting off the sound design is perfect this is like i agree with you i would say this is the best scene in the movie by far and it's it's just so like the score, which we'll talk about the scene it leads into in a second, which is also a kick-ass scene. But the score, which is by Rupert Gregson Williams, does a real good job with that scene. Just it's not like that scene could easily, you know, it, it could be overwrought. It could be like heavy-handed. It could be the kind of thing that you kind of cringe at. It's like, oh, you know, she's oh, of course she has to save everybody, but it's not. It's nuanced. It's kind of subtle. It's heroic, as you said, and it's just. This is Wonder Woman. She cannot bear to see people suffer. That's as simple as that. People are suffering and she wants to go and help them. And that is as heroic and simply like a superhero as you can get. And it's the exact opposite of the rest of this universe, which is like, oh, do I help people? Oh, what was me? Where she's just like, there's people over there who I can save. I'm bloody well going to go save them. Yes. And like you said, it it could have been heavy handed. Like it, it was such a small target to hit with this scene. And they were able to hit the target. It just if one little thing was different about the scene, if the score was different, if the shots they were cutting to was different, then it's like, oh, here we go. She's walking through the trench, unfazed and unshot. How is this possible? But everything comes together so perfectly in the scene, and it's just like, yes, this is why. Do more of this, Zack Snyder. Mm-hmm. Everything you're doing right here, 
We need if we had if every DC movie had a few of these moments sprinkled in, this universe would be amazing. Yeah, it would actually have but, like emotional impact. Yes, and like the the speech she makes before, instantly you're like, okay, I cared about this character before, but now I'm riding with this character for life. Yep. Like it's just it's just so motivating. It's so perfect. Ten out of ten in this scene. And then it leads into like this kick-ass fight scene where she's yes. charging through this village and they break out the Wonder Woman theme. And God, if you're not pumped when the Wonder Woman theme is blaring and she's beating up some Germans in that village, knocking them through windows and beating people with her shield, oh, I don't know what to say to you. That scene, like, it, uh, not only is that that walking into no man's land scene perfect, but then it leads into that brilliant action set piece where they unleash the best work of Hans Zimmer's career. I'm comfortable saying that because that's how good that Wonder Woman theme is. And then she's just kicking ass. And she's one of the, one of the best superhero themes we've got ever. Mm. And like, this is an era where, you know, the current DC themes aren't great. The current Marvel themes are pretty terrible. Like they broke out some of the old ones for whatchamacallit. Justice League, which, Justice a, League a big which, which is very smart. Yes, so smart break, breaking out the old ones. Like you got them; they're recognizable. People love them already, so why not do that? But I, I don't hate this Superman theme. I really don't even hate the Batman theme. I think the Batman theme is fine. But when you're following up Hans Zimmer's Dark Knight theme, mm. or with, even Danny with, Elfman's old Batman, with, theme. yeah, uh, with Danny Elfman's like Danny Elfman's is one of the more iconic ever, right? And then. Hans Zimmer follows it up and changes it up, and it works. Mm. And I think it probably works as well as it does because of the quality of those movies. Um, they enhance the theme. But you can't follow it up with what they followed it up with in Batman Superman. Like, it was a good theme, but instantly forgettable because you're like, well, it's not as good as the other two. Mm. And the movie's not good enough to make it iconic like The Dark Knight made Hans Zimmer's iconic. Like, if you said to me right now, like, how does it go? I don't know if I could, like, hum it. Like, or, Danny Elfins is obviously like, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. and Hans Zimmer's is, dun, 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 dun. like, they just come to mind right away. And the most recent one, I'm like, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like Hans Zimmer's, but a little different, closer to his than Danny Elfins. So, the Wonder Woman theme is, like, instantly recognizable know how it goes put it at every trailer i want to like if if i worked out i would work out to this theme but i don't um so i play video games to this theme you, you know it's every everything's perfect and i'm glad they held it off till this moment yep. like you probably could have played it in the trench run scene and i'm sure some filmmakers trench run geez that's the star wars coming out the the trench no man's land scene some filmmakers probably would have chosen to use it there. Some filmmakers probably would have jumped the gun and used it in the fight with the Amazon people. Um, but they saved it for the perfect moment. And I love when they they do this stunt where there's like a sniper in the tower. Mm. And Chris Pine and some of the other mercenaries like grab a, a tank door or something. And they're like, all right, we're going to like boost her up. And they boost her up and she like takes out the entire building. Yep. It is so cool. It's like, yes, that's exactly what we want. Yes, that is perfect. And it's also a, a callback to earlier in the film because that's a little Amazon thing they do where they put the shield up and they propel yes. their propels in the air. So it's 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 yes. even it's even set up earlier in the film. So it's like they're doing the thing. Yes. 
as you said, she doesn't just take out the guy in the, the there's a sniper in the tower. She doesn't just take him out. She takes the bloody tower down. Yeah, no, the the tower's gone. Nobody's using that tower ever. Mm. And then we we get we get some romance. We get some love. Yeah, and it's it's not forced whatsoever. Which again, superhero movies, yep. even the best ones, tend to lack a natural romance. A lot of them are like, all right, here comes the superhero's love interest. This one was like. No, they knew each other before this. They had uh, a funny uh, sexual tension romance discussion on the boat where she was like, come sleep with me. And he was like, oh, (laughs) what? And she was like, why don't you sleep with me? Will you not sleep with me? And he's like, no, no, I'll sleep with you. Trust me, I'll sleep with you. (laughs) Um, But like when it pays off in this movie, it works and it has to work because the ending which mm. we'll get to. And if it doesn't work, this movie is just not good, I don't think. Like, w- if the romance didn't click, we'd be like, well, the action sequences were good, but, you know. The ending wouldn't have that punch. Yeah. And it's, it's just a lovely scene where it's like, she hears music, and she's like, hey, music's pretty cool. And then they start dancing, and it starts snowing. And they're just like, it's so simple. It's so, it's, it's quiet. It's understated. It's not like looking doughy-eyed into each other's eyes. like, oh, I fell in love with you. It's not, there's none of that there. It's just like a real authentic moment between them, isn't it? Yes. Incredibly authentic. In in again, in a world where things shouldn't necessarily be authentic. Mm-hmm. Like, they they I I can't say it enough how small the target for this movie was that they made work. It's incredible. Like every little piece of this movie, it, it could have fallen apart at any moment, and it just did doesn't. It never does. Because this is an Amazonian warrior made out of clay. <laughs> yes. Who who has been plucked in the middle of World War One. Beating up Nazis, not sorry, beating up Germans. Um, Germans, not Nazis. And she she does no idea what's happening. She doesn't understand the world around her. There's she's never seen a man before. Nope, she's he's the which I guess that explains also why she fall in love with him immediately. But yes, she has no expectations. I would say he got the luck of the draw there, but he's Chris Pine, so yes. it's like she probably would have fell in love with him if he was the hundredth man that uh, she saw. You know, I fall in love with Chris Pine every day. Yeah, can't stop falling in love with Chris Pine. Good All the Chris's, the Chris's need to need to just chill out. Chris Pine, Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, just chill out, everybody. Chris Pratt, God, well, there's so Chris many Chris's. Pratt, God. like, like if if you're born a Chris and you're in the Marvel or DC cinematic universe, you're gonna be looking like a snack. Yeah, God damn it. Set set unrealistic expectations for us poor men out here. Yeah, really. How about how about some how about some real skinny people with noodle arms in these movies? Yeah, that's that, those are relatable characters. Those are the people we want in these films. Yeah, I guess we got a relatable character in like Ned from Spider Man Homecoming, mm. kind of just a nerd. <laughs> or or early early uh, Steve Rogers, I guess. Yeah, yeah, true. That's actually yeah. He has my body type. So yeah, it's just like I, I'm Captain America. Yes. Before he got big. That that's what uh that's what I'll tell people. Mm. Like if I'm ever on a first date, I'm like, Oh, you you don't worry and I'll show them the side by side the before <laughs> and after of Captain America be like, This is what I'll be like one day. Me in like ten when, years, you know. When we not like through working out, like I'm gonna wait around until we get this technology and then I'm gonna utilize it. Or at the very least you'll steal Marvel's magic making people look small technology to make people look bigger. Yes. 
I'm sure there will be an app for that, you know, in 10 years. Like right now we have apps they talk about all the time where people could like airbrush themselves mm. to look skinnier or look like more muscular or tan or whatever. There's got to be an app in 10 years where I, I could basically put my head on Chris Hemsworth's body and be like, yeah, I'm Thor. No biggie. It's called Microsoft Paint. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> you can never beat Microsoft Paint. You could probably do that. So we kind of move into the finale of the film then, don't we? Yeah, the third act. There, there's three very clear acts in this movie. Mm. You've, you've got the, um, you've got the Amazonian stuff. You've got the fish out of water and introduction to war stuff. And then you've got the third act. And I, I've seen when this movie first came out, everyone was very positive, as mm. they should have been, I think. And then, of course, when you let the few weeks go by, people start to try to nitpick. And I think this is what people tried to nitpick, um, or I guess some people have had some legitimate gripes with the third act. I really didn't. Did you? The only gripe I have with the third act is I think Ares' costume looked lame. Yeah, I mean, it did get CGI, mm. as as all the DC movies tend to, like, CGI crazy in the third fest. We see, like, there's a big reveal, which we could talk about in a sec. There's the fire, there's explosions, there's plane robberies. There's it, It's a big, big third act mm. because i guess because the rest of the movie is so understated and and the rest of the movie is so grounded in reality it works for me like you weren't going to shock me with cgi and whatnot in a movie with the lasso of truth that's true like you introduce that into the world and you show us where she was in the beginning and i'm kind of like yeah like I'm sure the world has the Aries, the mm. giant Aries, or you know the the disappearing, fading into dust. Like none of that felt out of the the picture of what the world they built was. Mm. I, I'm uh, I don't think I cared about the fight with Aries, but then the stuff that was happening around the fight with Aries, I think, is really really effective. So it doesn't really matter. Yes, yes, it wasn't just a fight scene for the sake of whatever. He crushes the God Killer sword, which is a really cool moment where it's like the whole movie you're thinking, this sword is like the the key to everything. She's going to kill Ares with the sword in the end. And she kills the one general that had been taking the, all the, the magic dust, Eric something. Um, she stabs him with it and like nothing changes as you kind of like I didn't expect anything to change at least. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, well, why is her killing one person going to affect like – the, the mustard gas going out it's not so she kills him and she's confused and steve is like yeah we're gonna go try to do that now like you killed him now we're gonna go try to stop that mustard gas from getting out and then the real Ares is revealed mm. and he crushes the god killer sword by just putting his hand out yeah and it's like oh my goodness this guy's not messing around played by david twellis who people might know from the harry potter films Oh really? I'm not. I'm not a Harry Potter guy. I'm not anti Harry Potter. I'm just uh, very, very ignorant to the whole franchise, pretty much. I didn't know he was Harry, in that. Yeah, he played Lupin in Harry Potter. If we have some Harry Potter fans out there, I thought he was very good in this. He is in, is... in that silly kind of role where it's so over the top. But I, like, he really works as a villain, and he's one of the more memorable ones. I think Zod was very memorable, but like everyone else, isn't. In, in this universe, at least. Mm. Like, Steppenwolf is definitely not <laughs> no, memorable. No. Looks like a PS2 character. <laughs> um, speaking of PS2 characters, what's-her-face, the Huntress from uh, 
from Suicide Squad. Oh, yeah. Huntress? No, not even Huntress. What's her name? Enchantress? Enchantress, yeah. She's she's just horrendous. I literally forgot she existed, to be honest. Yeah. These And the, it's not to say the Marvel Cinematic Universe is oh, no, the best well. villains ever. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, these, these are just... These are horrible. This one, memorable. Pretty good, yeah. Like, uh, that, that's the reason I didn't like when he transformed into like costumed Ares. Yeah, because it's just like uh, yeah. I, I didn't mind when it was just him in his suit kicking ass. It, it it worked for me there. Yeah, it worked for me too. And you do get the like taken out of the movie a little bit, where you're like, oh, okay, this is like we're gonna we're gonna do this now, and it works. And like mm-hmm. you said, the thing surrounding it is is focused on Steve. Yep. Um, where he is basically stealing the plane and pulling a Bruce Wayne Dark Knight Rises and what at least what we thought Bruce Wayne was doing, where he's driving it away from everyone because it's a big bomb that's about to explode, basically. Which actually um, is also the exact same ending to Captain America, the first adventure. Which is also the exact same ending to Captain America, correct. So it's like... Man, these superhero movies, they kind of have a formula, huh? They yeah. either got the, the fly the plane away from the, the people, save everyone. They got the beam shooting into the sky. Always that's a blue a cla- beam. That's, that's a classic. Um, and then there are a few films that break the formula like there, uh, the, completely. The, the, thir- the third one is the villain who wants to steal the powers of the superhero. Oh, correct. Age of Ultron style. Yes. Um, well, actually, one of the three Marvel films that I don't like, um, the other two being the first Thor and... Uh, Iron Man 3. I don't mind the first Thor. I am relatively indifferent on Iron Man 3. Yeah, Iron Man 3 was really boring for me. Like, I remember seeing it, I think, opening weekend, me and my brother went, and me just sitting there, and, and Tony Stark's just talking to this kid the whole time. I'm like, what am I, what are, we, what are we doing? Put the Iron Man suit on. I want to see, like, blast some stuff. And I'm, I'm all for character development. I'm all for whatever. But, like, it's just like Tony Stark hitchhiking in the snow with some little kid. It was, that was just an odd film. Um, but yeah, Steve sacrifices himself and it's in the middle of Wonder Woman's fight, which is like, I feel like a lot of movies probably save that until she's completely done with the villain, Mm. but they didn't in this and kind of used it as motivation. She was trapped under some rubble and looking up at the sky when the plane blew up. So she used that as like, oh no, I'm going to, I'm going to go kick some ass and we have a very return of the Jedi moment. Did, did you pick up on that parallel? Because instantly for me, I'm a massive Star Wars fan. I'm sure I've said it on the, the previous podcast, the previous three we did. But like the ending of this is just Return of the Jedi. See, I've only ever seen most of the Star Wars films once, so I don't have them like deeply embedded so, in my brain. So Ares is in the role of the Emperor. Uh-huh. Wonder Woman is in the role of Luke. And uh, Dr. Poison is in the role of Darth Vader. Right. Where it's like Wonder Woman is about to kill... Dr. Poison and realizing like I could kill this monstrous human being but the face mask gets ripped off a little bit and she sees the light in her and she sees that she's kind of just another human and there was Ares was behind all of this and and Ares is trying to get Wonder Woman to kill her because he wants to corrupt Wonder Woman that's the big thing and it's the same in Return of the Jedi the Emperor is trying to corrupt Luke by getting him to kill Darth Vader who he still sees the light in and they both both protagonists here decide against doing it and just going after the main person. Um, Luke doesn't actually go after the Emperor. Darth Vader does. He throws him down a big hole, kills him. Um, but 
it's it's a really powerful moment and she she thinks back to like what steve said to her and this made me really tear up too it's like the last thing steve said to her before and he gave her the watch it's like that's such a such a good moment and especially after you see justice league if if you saw justice league without seeing wonder woman the little jab that bruce wade makes about steve like that personally offends you when yeah. you see Justice League. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it's like, oh yeah, he's like saying whatever about her former boyfriend. If you've seen this, you're like, Bruce, you shut your mouth. He, he is the, I'll, or else I'll shut it for you. In this film, Steve is the literal like embodiment of human decency and goodness. Yes. Like she sees the light in humanity because Steve sacrifices himself to save everybody. That's that's like Ares is like everyone is terrible. They all go to war. They hate each other. But then Steve sacrifices himself to save everybody and she's like, "No, there is good in this world and it is worth saving." So don't you take shots at Steve. Yes, to borrow a line from my favorite film of 2017 that I understand that you didn't like. Not about it's not about uh killing what you hate. It's about saving what you love. <laughs> That that's that's a big theme in the Last Jedi, and that's a big theme in this movie. In fairness, that was a line from the part of the Last Jedi I actually liked, so I'll accept that. <laughs> oh, nice. I Craig, think, yeah, Crate is a fantastic third act, for, yeah. or it's like a fourth act for that movie, but it works. I think that film has a very good opening twenty minutes or so, and then a very good final forty minutes, and everything in between. But this is not a podcast about. I've already done a podcast about that. Yes. We won't go into that because, but it's it, it's just part of my nature. I mean, I have a I have a giant uh, lightsaber tattooed on my forearm. There is no second of my life where I which don't you had Mark not Hamill think about. Hold by the way. Yeah, he hoisted the lightsaber, which was unreal the day the day after I got the tattoo. So it was still in the healing process very much. And I'll tell you, Mark Hamill grabbed onto it with such a tight grip that <laughs> you would have to imagine his DNA healed into the tattoo. You're part of. He's part of you now. Oh, absolutely. That's that's the peak of pictures that I will ever take in my lifetime. You're officially a Jedi. Congratulations. Which is nice. Yeah, to to get that out of the way at 19 is, is nice. Like, <laughs> yep, I will bad. never take a better picture. Of course, there's another, like, 60 years of your life plus that you're just going to, like, God, wasn't that one thing I did when I was 19 real good? <laughs> yeah. Like, when, when I eventually get married, the picture of me and Mark Hamill will be the cake topper. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna hold you to that. <laughs> I I also I also um put it up for like Christmas on my social media feed. I just put like Photoshop little Santa hats onto me and Mark. <laughs> just put it up and said, uh, "Merry Christmas from my family to yours." And my mom was like, that, "That's not your family." And I was like, "Oh, you're in for a rude awakening, mom, because I guarantee you, it's my family." Uh, but just... Yeah, Mark, Mark, Mark posting that Twitter. Posting that photo on his own Twitter, by the way, was and Instagram and tagging me in both was. I mean, we're best friends. That's that's that is like literally that is what best friends do. They they put it with each other on Instagram. It's yeah, and my Instagram is not the same handle as my Twitter. I don't promote my Instagram whatsoever. So he, he must have done a little bit of digging to find that. But he 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 likes you enough to find your Instagram. That's that's a sign of true love and friendship. It's it's absolutely wild. You know, it was funny. He tweeted that, and he tweeted like a, a big thing, and was like, "He's like, what a dedicated Star Wars fan!" Like, or he said, "Like, what an amazing Star Wars fan!" If if at Robbie Barstool was uh, committed enough to get this lightsaber on his arm, the least I could do is uh, holster it, you know, hoist it proudly, whatever. And he tweets it, and I was in my office, and I was just—it was the day I met him, so I was already elated. And he tweets that, 
and I just about passed out. You know that gif of the lady like falling back into her friends? Yeah. She's fainting. That was me and to my coworkers. And then as soon as I went to screen or I went to retweet it, and I said, sorry, this tweet has been deleted. Oh, no. And everyone's like, like everyone in the office, usually kind of a malicious office in the terms of like, not malicious, in terms of like, uh, you know, always capitalizing on what's funny, even in the harsh moments. Where normally something like that happening, I would have the reality show camera shoved in my face and it would be a funny moment. Everyone was just like, like it's just like you could hear a pin drop in the office. Everyone's like, oh, no, why, why did he, why did he delete the tweet? And I was like, I was like, he'll probably put it back up, right? And they were like, uh, I don't, I don't know. And I was like, no, he'll put it back up. It's probably just a typo. And they were like, uh, he could have like searched Barstool and seen like the things that people wrote about Barstool being problematic and wanted to disassociate himself with our brand. It's like, no, no. <laughs> and then like two seconds later, I get an Instagram notification. I was like, oh, he was on the wrong app. He was on the wrong app. He was on the wrong app. Thank God. <laughs> and then he posted it on Twitter later that night, and there was a typo in the tweet we found out. He like misspelled committed or something. So that was that was a big tangent about uh, Star Wars on this Wonder Woman podcast. But yes, that was a roller coaster day for you. It was a very roller coaster day. It was a wild day. But the end of Wonder Woman is the end of Return of the Jedi, and that is a great thing. Mm. And then we jump back to the future briefly, where she's looking at a picture. Bruce got her and she's like oh happy memories yeah and she shoots him an email oh and you see them take that picture too that's something we skipped but oh yeah them taking that picture is actually a cool moment because you're like as soon as they take it you're like oh so that's when that that's exactly when that was taken that makes sense now and it's like a it's right after that cool battle sequence so it's it's very cool to see that get taken and be like mm, right now Diana has no idea what this will you know do for her and almost a hundred years, but we do. Do you think, well, how do you think they did that? In terms of what? In terms of like that picture playing a role in Batman versus Superman. And then mm. which, which do you think came first? Do you think, um, Cause you probably just... the Batman Superman. I bet, I bet it was easy enough where they, they use that picture and the screenwriter for this probably looked at it and said, Hey, not only can I like feature this as like almost a little Easter egg, I can make it a really cool moment in the movie and have the movie bookended by a reference to it. Mm. They they kind of utilized it in a very cool way where again, they could have made it heavy handed and it could have been shoehorned in, but it wasn't. It was it was very unique. Yeah, it could have been like swelling music as they took the picture and you, yeah. you know oh. It could have been like, look, this is the picture, but instead it's a very quick like oh smile here. Chris Pine was in the photo. Yep. I don't. He's right next to her. He, I assume he's in the photo in Batman as well. Oh yeah, I guess he probably is, right? I like. I I think I never bumped on. I've watched. I've seen that film obviously twice now. I never bumped on. It's like, oh, it's Chris Pine. I should watch that and be like, oh, it's Chris Pine. Let's see. I'm googling it right now. Oh yeah, that's him right right next to him. Yep. Right. It's it's a very blurry photo in Batman Superman though. Ah right. You know, it looks it looks aged, and it looks like there's filters run over it. Like, if you told me that's actually a Chris Pine stunt double, I would believe you. So I guess, actually, I bet the Wonder Woman thing came first, right? If they had the picture, and Unless, all of the actors are the same. How blurry is the picture? <laughs> I'm now also going to Google the picture. Uh, it's blurry, but, like, it's very clearly Chris Pine and Gal Gadot, at least. 
The other three, I believe, are the three in the movie, but they I guess they could have gotten people that looked extremely like them. Hey, that is 100% Chris Pine. Yeah. All right. It's also like a very quick flash in Batman Superman because it's while he's searching through all of the rest of the files with uh, the convenient uh, superhero logos provided by Lex Luthor. The Batman picture came first, and then they painstakingly recreated it for one woman. Oh, wow. Research. <laughs> Look at that. Breaking news on the podcast. I'm sure it's a few years old, but breaking news. The photo was actually the first thing they did, apparently. So never mind the shirtless scene. <laughs> yes. And that is that, that's Wonder Woman. That's Wonder Woman. It, it's, uh, we probably didn't spend as much time on this as we did the other ones. I think it's good. this is the longest one we've done. Is it really? We're an hour five minutes at the moment. Let me check. Oh, well. I, I mean, the other ones we could pick apart. I, I feel like we could have picked those apart for days, maybe weeks, maybe months, maybe years. We could still pick apart Man of Steel to this day. This one, there's like nothing to pick apart. Man Go of see Steel, it anyway. Man of Steel is 40 minutes. Oh, no. Batman vs. Superman is 119. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. And then... Yeah. Justice League was 114. Okay, so it's technically the third longest. <laughs> but it's close. It's close. And we I, were I, very I think, positive. I think, we, I think we covered our bases. We were we were positive. This movie is amazing. And next is a less amazing film in Justice League. <laughs> my, I think my headline for my review of this, just, just to give a little tease of the podcast that we will eventually do for Justice League, um, with, with, let's hope, not as big a gap in between uh, the last ones, but my headline was... Uh, Critics have a big dump in their pants. Justice League is fun as hell. I actually, I'll say this right now, I like Justice League. So I think this is actually going to be a good, uh, we're going to have two back-to-back podcasts, unless I hate it rewatching it. But the first time I saw it, I actually liked it. So Yeah, is it is it out on like a DVD yet? Probably not, right? I assume it is. That film was out during the summer, wasn't it? Mm, no, that was a November oh, film. Oh god, good god. Where is time gone? Yeah. Justice, Justice League. I'll have to rewatch it too, but like, I remember watching it the whole time, and, and it's very interesting, the parallels, because my brother usually has pretty similar tastes, uh, movies-wise, as I do, and I saw Justice League, and he was like, I actually think Justice League is going to be good, so I went and saw it, and I came back and I said, dude, that was a, like a lot of fun. There's yeah. obviously the flaws that every DC movie has, and the villain's forgettable, this, that, but I was like, overall, like... I had a fun time with that movie. He's like, yes, I'm so excited to see it. And then he texted me. He's like, all right, go and see Justice League. And I got a text from like 20 minutes later. He's like, I walked out. I couldn't do it. It was so bad. I was <laughs> like, oh, wow. Yeah, I like, I like, I was the same. I went into the film. Like, it's a DC film, so I don't have high expectations. But I went into the film just being like, all right, it's a big team up. What's the worst that can happen? And the worst that can happen is it's a fun film. Yeah, and like the introduction of new characters. For the most part, is awesome. The Flash is wonderful. Yeah, we'll talk. All but about we'll the... talk about that at a different time. Indeed. Do you have anything you'd like to plug? I'm sure the the vast podcast a week listenership will help your brand these days. <laughs> um, I'm on Twitter at Robbie Barstool, Robbie with an I E. Um, that's probably changed from the last time I was on the podcast. So, uh, be I sure think, to update that. I guess. I think you changed it to Intern Robbie based on the last podcast we had. I think I did. I think I did as well. Um. And then, yeah, I, I blog every day on BarstoolSports.com, so I, you could usually find six or seven blogs a day. Um, yeah, I blog about MMA, sometimes wrestling. used to blog about wrestling more than I do. We kind of moved away from that. 
um, to focus on different things. Our readership just isn't huge on wrestling. But I'll, I'll still do the big events and whatnot. And then movies, nerd stuff. Blogged the Ant-Man trailer today, which is a fantastic trailer. Another movie that I'm looking just, forward to that film, yeah. Yeah, it, it, just, it just looks like fun. Looks like a movie I'll go sit down at the theater. Nice little summer blockbuster, and it'll be unique, just like the last one was unique. It's a nice heist film. And, like, the coolest thing about that first film was all the, like, uh, tiny uh, tiny effects where it's, like, you yes. know, running through bathtubs. I blogged about the, the bathtub scene, yeah. I, I wrote about that, and I'm like, they they could just do a thousand things with that. The scene in the trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp where they, like, send the – they shrink the, the van – yeah, and send it under the regular sized van, and then blow up the one they shrunk, so it like shoots the van on top of it into the sky. is so awesome. And then the big Hello Kitty Pez dispenser at the end is very funny. My favorite one in the trailer is when he shrinks the building and then pulls out a travel handle. <laughs> yes, yes. Michael Douglas has the best line of that trailer too, where uh, you know Ant Man's looking at the wasp suit. He's like, "Whoa, you gave her wings!" And he's like, "Yeah, blasters too." He's like, "Well, I guess you didn't have that technology when you built me my suit." He's like, no, I did. <laughs> so uh, I, I do think that Wasp is going to add like a legitimacy to Ant-Man that elevates both of them in the process where I think they'll go from like, yeah, they're like the fun side vil- seer heroes that are in the Avengers to like, they're kind of the main heroes here. Yeah. And I see, uh, actually, it's interesting. That film comes after Infinity War, doesn't it? Yep. Which I, that, I don't know how that's going to work, but we'll see. Yeah. I guess I guess that movie's kind of on the back burner for now. Mm. Especially Black Panther's coming out in like two weeks, which is going to be awesome. Their earlier reviews are in, and seems to be amazing, just like every Marvel movie is. So those are the the premiere reviews, though, aren't they? Yep. Which you can never trust. Um, I don't know. I feel like they've never let me down. It's the same. Well, yeah, Marvel are usually great. I have no no doubt that film will be good. But like, it's the same with the first screenings of all these DC films, and you're like, DC are oh, back, true, yeah. all of the best films ever. It's like you just loaded the freaking theater with uh, diehards who are just gonna go woo and get real mad yeah. when Wonder Woman doesn't get nominated for Oscars. But yeah, I I, I don't know. I mean, Gal's really good. I don't know if I would say she, she was like I, I watched this and said, wow, she could be nominated for an Oscar. No. But, I mean, Suicide Squad is an Oscar-winning film, so true. this probably true. could have been nominated for something visually or sound mixing or sound editing or, like I said, Wardrobe was, like, awesome in this movie. Could have been nominated for that. I was more disappointed Logan got no actor nominations. Yeah. Well, it, it, did get, uh, it did get screenwriting, yeah. which is big for a comic book film. It got adapted. It was the first time a comic book film ever got adapted screenplay nomination. I would like to see Hugh Jackman or Patrick Stewart get something for that. Like even just yeah. nominate. They're never going to win, but the nomination is nice. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I don't like um, they they can use ten slots in the best picture mm. category, and they only use nine. And I really hate that they did that. It's kind of it feels like an insult to other movies that came out. And people will say like, why do you care if it gets nominated if it's not going to win anyway? And I don't think that logic works because there are movies like Mad Max that really weren't like the biggest commercial successes ever until the Oscars, mm. until people, it won all these awards and people were like, whoa, what's this movie? We should check it out. And then everyone checked out Mad Max way more than they did when it, upon an initial release. So it's like nominations are very important. I think something like a movie like Wind River would have really benefited by being in that. Up, when Up was nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture, that was like a landmark moment. It's like, look at this yes. animated feature, a Pixar film, being nominated for Best 
film at the Oscars. That's important. Yeah, and, and the whole reason they expanded to 10 was because in 2008, The Dark Knight didn't get nominated, and people freaked out, and they were like, you know, we should expand to 10. Uh, so, like, movies like superhero movies could potentially get nominated. I'm not saying this deserved a Best Picture nom by any stretch of the imagination, but, like, just use all 10 slots, yeah. Academy. Give Logan, just give, give Logan a nod. It deserved it. Yeah. yeah. Last year was a good year for superhero films. Oh, yeah. We're on the up and up, and 2018 seems to have, like, a pretty stacked roster so far. Yeah. That Venom in uh, on the last episode of Podcast of the Week, as this goes up, me and Barry talked about Spider-Man, but the Venom film is out this year, so that's like, okay. Yeah, and Tom Hardy's in that, and yeah. Tom Hardy is Tom Hardy, so he's, like, maybe one of the best actors in the world. Playing Venom. And, uh, and Spider-Man's confirmed to be in it. Hmm. Which, that's Which, also a weird thing, because that's not an MCU film, and yet Spider-Man, an MCU character, is going to be in that film. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they work well with those studios now, I guess. Mm. They lent Spider-Man off for Civil War and Homecoming, and now they got him back for Venom. And frickin' they own the X-Men now, so what's even the point of anything? <laughs> True. This is why we need the DC films. This is why the DC films are important. Yes. <laughs> Just so there's super fear films that aren't made by Disney. This is also highest grossing uh, DC film, correct? Uh, I think by a long shot. I think in the US anyway it is. It made $800 million worldwide. Yeah, and I know uh, Justice League made far from that. And uh, $600 million for Justice League. Man of Steel made 668 and... Batman vs Superman made eight hundred seventy-three. Did Wonder Woman just eke it out? No. Yeah. Oh, it did not. About fifty million dollars. Batman vs Superman beats it globally. Though I think Wonder Woman is the highest-grossing in the U.S. I, I mean, when you put Batman and Superman in a title, yep, and it doesn't make a billion dollars, yep. I mean, Homer Simpson tugging at his collar. Dot gif. Yep. They really screwed the pooch on that one. Yeah. The Wonder Woman actually, I think, was overtaken by Jumanji at the at the American box office lab for 2017 films. Yeah, there's a movie that really benefited from good reviews, word of mouth. I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't see it. Rock ruins everything. God damn it, Dwayne. All right. I, I think I went to plugs about 20 minutes ago, so we should say goodbye. Yep. <laughs> Farewell, podcast audience. Robbie, thank you. You are wonderful. Thank you for having me. That is the show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you also to Robbie Fox for being nice enough to come back on this lovely little podcast. This is a good show. Nice uh, cottage industry level show. I'm sure you all listened this far and I'm happy you did. Next week, new guest on the show, James Faye. We talk about The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, which is a better film than Wonder Woman, but both are really, really good films. You can listen to new episodes of the podcast a week every single week at soundcloud.com forward slash TWSKK. You can subscribe on iTunes by searching for the TWS Network or follow me on Twitter at GarrettKidney, G-A-R-E-T-T-K-I-D-N-E-Y. Thanks for listening and bye-bye.